0: Good morning. Uh, Before I begin this, uh, I want to say something else. Um, The scripture that Don read today uh, about um, Jesus calming the storm, it's interesting when you read that text uh, because of what happens before and after. Um, uh, When the storm starts, the text tells us the disciples were afraid, obviously, there's a storm. but what's interesting is after Jesus calms the storm, peace, be still, and the waves stop, the very next thing that Mark tells us is the disciples were terrified. The storm scared them. Jesus terrified them. And then they asked the question, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. It's easy in this time of transition here for you to be a little panicked. To wonder what's going to happen. What's going to be next. I want to encourage you. As someone who's seen this. In many churches over my several years at Lincoln. It is amazing to wait on what Jesus is going to do. And I think sometimes we get in such a hurry. To try to fix something. Oh we don't have a preacher. So we need to fix that. And we need, we need to get a preacher. And, and I want you to understand this time can be the most blessed time in your church's existence. This time right here, you can, you can pray together, you can listen to one another, you can begin to maybe heal some of the, the stuff that's underneath the surface, and I don't know what that is, but I suspect you do. You'll have a chance to maybe work on some of those things, prepare some of those things in order so that when God does bring the next person in, you not only have a better idea of who it is that you need because you have been talking about identity and vision, who you are, who, who God has called you to reach out to, what your emphasis and effort is going to be placed toward. And so when you interview somebody, you can interview them with that vision in mind. This is who we are. This is what we're all about. Do you think you'll be a good fit? And when the new minister does come in and get started, the new minister doesn't have to deal with all of the baggage that you as a church took upon yourself to deal with before he ever gets here. So I would, I would not be, I would not panic at this point in time. I remember the story that's told of Mother Teresa and a young man that went to the streets of Calcutta to work with her, and she asked him one time, what is it that you would like me to pray for you for? How can I pray for you? And the young man said, I don't know what's going to happen next in my life, and I would appreciate prayers for clarity. And she said, I will not pray for clarity. She said, I will, however, pray for trust. And that's my prayer for you today. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. We want to trust you. We want to trust you in the middle of the difficult times, in the middle of the Um, difficult issues that are in front of us in this time of transition. We want to trust you. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're not there yet. There are times when we doubt. There are times when we are afraid. (laughs) And then we see you act, and instead of celebrating what you do, we we panic (laughs) and freak out. I pray right now today that in the absence of clarity, you would give the people here at Port Byron your trust. Your spirit of peace, your knowledge of what it is that they need to do behind the scenes, what needs to be addressed, who are you, who are we as a church, what is it that we need to deal with so when you bring the next person on board, we can just take off running. Father, we trust you to provide that. And we ask today that you would be honored and glorified in this moment of worship. We give you all the praise, because you alone are worthy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, There's a question that, to be honest with you, once you ask it, once you start to figure out the answer to it, it kind of shapes every other question that you're going to ask from here on out. kind of shapes every decision that you make, everything that you do from that point forward. And the question is simply this. What is it that you want? At any given moment in your life, you want something. When you're five months old, you want that pacifier When you're five years old, you want that first friend on the playground When you're 15 years old, you just want that certain someone to text you back When you're 25 years old, you want that first big break When you're 45 years old, you just want your kid to call home from college every so often And when you're 51 years old, like I am You just want to see that beautiful grandbaby of yours my little two-year-old grandson, Ezra, who's wearing my glasses and looks in a lot better in them than I do. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but at any given moment, you want something in your life. But occasionally, something happens that does the unthinkable. It gets you to change what you want. It was an early Tuesday morning, May. I remember one of the first warm days of the spring. And I went into my office at Lincoln Christian Church as youth minister because I had work to do. And I remember sitting down at my desk, and it wasn't very long before the secretary buzzed me and said, Tracy, you need to call home. So I called my wife, and my wife said the words that strike fear in any parent's heart. Tracy, Hannah's missing. Hannah was our four-year-old special needs daughter, and she had decided while my wife was hanging clothes one day out on the line, she decided she was going to take a walk and find her friend and not tell anybody she was going for a walk. Now, it's an amazing story, and if you got time after church and want to hear some more details, I'll be happy to share them with you. It involves a repossessed motorcycle, county and local law enforcement, a bicycle shop owner, and a teddy bear. It's an amazing story, but it's not really relevant to the sermon other than this. Because that morning, I am certain that when I got to the office that morning, there was something important that I had to be doing. I had goals and objectives for the day that I was going to accomplish. But in that moment, something happened that got me to change what I want. There was a guy in the Bible, you probably know him, his name is Saul. And Saul had been groomed since birth to have the good life. And in many ways, he did. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, he lists some of the things that he had that he considered to be blessings. Beginning in verse 4, Philippians 3, here's what he says. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'm circumcised on the eighth day. That's the dream symbol. I'm of the people of Israel, the dream people. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Whenever Israel would march into battle, they would put Benjamin in the front and they would chant after them, after thee, O Benjamin. I was of the best tribe. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I had a dream standing. In regard to the law of Pharisee. Believe it or not, folks, there was a time when being called a Pharisee was not a bad thing and Paul cherished his title and as for zeal persecuting the church Paul had the dream job he loved his job as a matter of fact just last week for the very first time I was reading through Acts chapter 9 where where Saul gets this letter to go to Damascus to arrest Christians and I always thought that Saul when he got that letter I always thought he went into the high priest's office and the high priest said I want you to go to Damascus here's a letter take the letter read Acts chapter 9 that's not what happens. In Acts chapter 9, Paul walks. In, Saul walks into the office of the high priest and says, hey, I'm going to Damascus. I'd like to arrest some Christians while I'm there. Can you give me the paperwork? That's exactly what he does. He loves his job. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. You hear what he said? Faultless. I've got it all. I am quite literally, Saul says, living the dream. But then something happens. It was powerful enough to do the unthinkable. It changed what Saul wanted. Look at verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider... What? Whatever were gains to me, I now consider... Loss for the sake of Christ. Saul had worked his way up the career ladder. He went from being a coat carrier at the death of Stephen, the first martyr of the church, to taking the papers to Damascus to arrest Christians. But on the way, the Lord blinds him. The Lord calls him out by name and tells this Saul, who has been a Hebrew of Hebrews, that you will now go to the Gentiles and you will be known by your Gentile name to them, Paul. And the apostle Saul becomes the apostle Paul. And the apostle Paul is given a message to be a light to the Gentiles, of the world and speaking as a Gentile I'm pretty glad he did but here's what I know about Jesus he changes everything I had plans I was going to be a high school English teacher I was going to live in my parents home until they died and inherit the house I told them that (laughs) wife, kids, no way I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have any kids. And basically, I was wrong about my entire life. Everything that I thought it was going to be, it turned out to be something completely different. What happened? I will tell you what happened. I met the resurrected Jesus. I think the biggest reason why people run from Jesus is because he is fundamentally capable of doing the most incredible and horrible thing that we can imagine. He can get us to change what we want. Now, why do I call that horrible? I call it horrible because we want what we want. Change is fine, as long as it moves us toward where we think things ought to be, change is absolutely fine as long as it moves me in the direction that I think I should be going toward the destination where I think I should head, and then i 'm coming to contact with philippians three seven but what wherever were gains to me, I now consider. There's that word again. I was here a few months ago and I told you what my favorite word in the Bible is. My favorite word is but. B-U-T. But. Because it tells me that something was happening that wasn't good and then God decided to do something about it. Look what Paul says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What happened to Paul's pedigree? What happened to his zeal for persecuting the church? What happened to his perfect righteousness? You guessed it. But, but happened. What was to my profit is now loss. It's an economic term. It's a spreadsheet. What used to be green is now red. It's not zero, it's less than zero. Everything is a loss. And hear me on this not just the bad stuff, all of it. Our hope is not in our pedigree or our career. Or our accomplishments, our talents, or our potential—all of these things that I counted on to make me what I thought I should be—are now lost. You see, we want change to make us more. More money, more power, more control, more happiness. We want change to move us into more territory, more respect, more honor, more prestige, more resources, more stuff, more love. That's what we want, right? And the Apostle Paul comes along and redefines for us what more actually is. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, what is more... I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the only time in the entire New Testament where in any of Paul's letters he says anything like this. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, what's that word? I consider them what? Garbage. Garbage. Um, the NIV is trying to be nice They're being politically correct Using this terminology As a matter of fact if you, want a, if you want a Bible version That will give you the correct word to use here The King James works really, really well You know what word the King James uses? Dung Manure Filth Excrement Poop you what he's saying? I consider everything garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. I'm going to say it, and if you don't like it, I completely understand. But you have to understand: if you're angry with this, you need to take it up with Paul, not with me. Here's what it says: When Christ is number one, I'll wait. Exactly what he says, guys. All of it. Everything that we think is to our advantage. Everything that we think is in our favor. Not just the bad stuff. You see, we want change, right? To take away the bad stuff, right? And we want to accentuate the good stuff. You know? I don't like that relationship, so change gets rid of that relationship. But I like that relationship, so change accentuates and builds up that relationship. Change moves me in a positive direction. The Apostle Paul comes back and says, "Uh uh-uh, I consider everything a loss. I want change to bless my family. I want change that will jumpstart my career. I want change that will fix relationships and make people think I'm cool. But here's what change brought to Paul. Don just read to you this morning, verse 10. I want to know Christ. Oh, that's such a rich word. The languages of the Bible are so incredibly deep and thick. To word no, I mean, well, I'll mean, just give it to you this way. In Genesis 4, chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Adam slept with Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And they called him Cain. The word that they used, actually literally used, was no. Adam knew. You see, the word know is a, it's an intimate term. It's a psychological term. It's a physical term. It's a spiritual term. It's an emotional term. It's a term of complete connection. And I ask you the question again, what is it that you want? It's not evil to want the good things that life offers. It's not evil or sinful to want a happy home, to want a good job, You want people to like you, to have prestige and position, but what do you want more than anything else? What is the thing that you want that shapes everything else that you want underneath the surface? My mom always used to say peace. I'd ask my mom what she wanted for Christmas every year and she would tell me the same thing, peace on earth. And that's all well and good, but is that the one thing that gives purpose and perspective to all other things? now I don't know about you the older I get the more I look forward to heaven I can't can't wait I mean I want to go to heaven I want to find out are the the streets really gold are the gates really pearly do Adam and Eve have belly buttons I want answers to the questions that I have but I'm going to tell you something right now my goal church my goal is not heaven heaven's great wonderful place filled with glory and grace But I want to see my Savior's face. I want to be in heaven because of Jesus. I want Jesus. Now be warned, because when you want to know Jesus, there may be more than you actually want to see. Look what it says here in 3.10. It says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I mean, hey, we're awesome about that, right? Yes, the power of resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is absolutely awesome. But we have to keep reading. He's not done. He says, and participation in his sufferings. You see, in chapter 1, the word participation is translated partnership, as in partnership in the gospel. That sounds great. In Philippians chapter 2, it's translated fellowship, as in fellowship with the Spirit. Again, that's amazing. That's wonderful. That'll preach. That'll make you feel good on a Sunday morning before you go out to eat. But in chapter 3... It's particip- go ahead and we'll go back one. Go back one. Thank you. Chapter 3, it's participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his what? Death. You see, when we... <laughs> When we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, sometimes failing to understand one fundamental truth, that if Jesus is going to resurrect us, that there is a prerequisite to resurrection. There's something that comes first. What comes first before resurrection? What has to happen before someone can be resurrected? They have to die. Now, all of a sudden, it doesn't sound a little cool anymore, does it? About dying to ourselves and dying to sin and being raised to walk in a new life. Here's what Paul said just two chapters before. He said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by what? Whether by life. Or by, for to me, to live is, it's okay to play along at home, to live is Christ, and to die is, I'm going to ask you again, what do you want? What is it that you want? Now, you may be to the point in this where you're like, I'm not sure I want that. I hear you. The Apostle Paul would probably agree with you. Here's what he says next. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. If I were to sit here and tell you, yes, I want to know Christ, there are probably things in my mind that come to mind to tell me all of the reasons why that's not the case right now. All of the issues, all of the failings, all the shortcomings, all the sins, all the struggles, all the doubts, all the fears, all the frustrations. You hear me? You probably have the same ones yourself. But notice what the Apostle Paul does not say. The Apostle Paul does not say, I know Christ. What does the Apostle Paul say in verse 10? He says, I want to. I want to know Christ. I'm not here to ask you today where you are in your walk with Christ because if I did ask you that question, you could probably give me 10 or 15 or 20 areas where your walk is not good enough at this particular moment in time. And I understand that. So I'm not asking you where you are in your walk with Christ. I'm asking you, where do you want to be? Because where you want to be will determine how and where you're going to get there. Christ Jesus took hold of Paul. Notice, notice the title. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus. When I was a little kid, I was convinced that Christ was Jesus' last name. Joseph Christ and Mary Christ had little baby Jesus Christ. But now I'm a little older and a little smarter and I realize that's not a name, it's a title. It means Messiah, anointed one, chosen one of God. The chosen one of God has gotten hold of the Apostle Paul and changed what he wanted. The chosen one of God, the Messiah, the Christ, got a hold of me and changed what I wanted. I ask you again, what do you want? Because the answer to that question will determine everything the apostle Paul was still who he was when Jesus grabbed him He's still a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's still circumcised on the eighth day. But now he has a purpose. You have so many gifts and blessings that God has given to you. As a matter of fact, if I, put, if I told you to look in your notes section of your bulletin and just start writing down some blessings, you could probably come up with six or eight or ten just like that. Family, friends, loved ones. Physical health, skills, talents, abilities. You could come up with all of those things and you can list all of them. But I'm telling you right now that none of those things are your purpose. As a matter of fact, I will go so far as to say this. If you live long enough, every blessing that you write down on that piece of paper will go away. If you live long enough, I've been married 30 years to my beautiful wife, beautiful, patient, long-suffering wife. But if I live long enough, she's going to see Jesus before me. I have two beautiful children. I have a son-in-law who I adore. I have a grandson. Well, you saw him. But if I'm around here long enough, they're going to go. Physical skills. <laughs> when, I was, when I was a freshman in high school, I could grab the rim on the basketball court. Now my goal is the net. <laughs> I'm 51 years old. I don't fly no more. My brain is betraying me. You know what I'm talking about? Everything that I thought was a blessing and is. Everything that I thought was a gift, and it is. If I live long enough, every single one of those gifts will go away. And there is only one thing on your list that will never go away. And that's Jesus. And so I'm going to live my life wanting to know Christ. I love my wife, but my wife is not my purpose. I treasure the gifts of my children and my grandson, but they are not my purpose. I am grateful for every skill and gift and talent that my God has poured into my life, but they are not my purpose. My purpose is Jesus Christ. Christ, Jesus got a hold of me and changed what I wanted. I ask you again, what do you want? Because the answer to that question changes everything. Now, you may not be there yet. And again, Paul comes back and says, I'm with you. I'm not there either. Look what says next. Brothers and sisters, I do not yet consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Actually, the words I do are not in the text. <laughs> the translators just put that there to make it a little easier for you to read. The apostle Paul comes back and says, I'm not there yet, but one thing. You hear that? One thing. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He switches from an economic metaphor to an athletic metaphor. The metaphor of the race. And there's a cardinal rule in running the race. The goal of the race is in front of you. And that's where your eyes need to be. I remember um, my daughter Hannah, um, she's in Special Olympics when she was in high school, and we had a problem because in Special Olympics, and you, some of you, if you not participate in a Special Olympics track meet, you need to participate in one. It is absolutely amazing. They are a stickler for the rules. This is not a, they're not babying anybody. In fact, my daughter participated in an event called the 100 Meter Walk. My daughter couldn't run about three steps and stop. So she's in a walking event. And the walking event was you had to stay in your lane from start to finish 100 meters. And if you strayed from your lane, if you walked even one step into another person's lane, you were automatically disqualified. They were serious about this. And my daughter was fine. My daughter was excited about the race and she'd stand at that starting block and she was great until that dude pulled out the starter's pistol. My daughter hates guns, hates noises. And that guy pulled out that starter pistol. My daughter was disqualified before the race ever started. She went from lane one to lane two to lane three to lane four to lane five before the thing even started. And we're like, how on earth do we help her to finish the race in the right way? And we finally figured out how to do it. We put a cute boy at the end of the race. High school students would volunteer to help the students out on Special Olympics Day. And we would put a cute boy at the end of the race. And he would stand at the finish line and go, Come on, Hannah. Come on, Hannah. You can do it. And my daughter was on a mission (laughs) to finish that race. Because she wanted to go spend some time with that young man who was calling her name. Oh, how does the writer of Hebrews put it? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who started it all and the one who will finish it all, the author and perfecter, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That Jesus who got a hold of me is the same Jesus who goes before me, who walks with me, who lives in me and through me. And I ask you again, what do you want? And here, my friends. Is why change matters. The Apostle Paul would tell the church Corinth this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God himself were making his appeal through us. We implore you. On Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. We want what we want. Until Jesus does the impossible. He gets us to change. What we want. And that change begins to expand your world. You begin to love others more than you do yourself. Your heart begins to break for the needs of those around you. And there is no greater need in the world today than for people to be reconciled to God. I ask you one more time what is it that you want? Because if the answer is Christ, be warned. He'll change everything. Father, we thank you that you, in your incredible wisdom, have chosen to want us. You created us to walk with you. And this whole book that has invested our entire lives... (laughs) It's just a reminder yet over and over again of your story, your story to restore sinful people back into relationship with you. This whole shooting match happens because you want us. And this morning, may we respond by saying, Jesus, we want you. We want all of you. We want to rejoice in the power of your resurrection because we know that you were the first one that was raised, but you will not be the last. We know that you have created us to be raised into new life with you, and we rejoice and celebrate with that. But Father, I pray today that we would recognize that with that new life comes death. Deaf to what holds us back. Deaf to the sin that so easily entangles. And new life in you. And we are so thankful for the resurrection that you've given to us. But every once in a while, that old life just wants to, to raise its ugly head. I thank you for people like the Apostle Paul who remind us that knowing you is a journey. We're not there yet. Oh, there's going to be a day, Lord. Oh, man. And I cannot wait for that day when I open up my eyes in glory. And in that moment, I think to myself, at this point in my life, I think to myself, oh, man, when I get there, there's so much I want to do. There's so many people I want to see. I want to see my mom and dad. I want to see grandma and grandpa. I want to walk the streets of gold. And all those things are real. And I've got questions I want to ask. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. We're so silly when that moment comes and we open our eyes in glory and the first thing we see is you you will be enough so as we continue on as we press on we hold fast to that one thing that you have called us heavenward in Christ Jesus for a reason because you have created us again to walk with you and so I thank you, Lord, for your patience and your mercy with us. And I am I am grateful for the most horrible thing you ever did to me. How you changed what I wanted. Lord, how I fought you. How I pushed against you. How I walked away from you. How I still walk away from you sometimes when I just don't see what it is you're wanting to do in my life. But in the midst of it, you your patient persevering love never fades never fails and you love us in order that we might love others that we might see them from a different point of view as Paul would go on to tell the church of Philippi we no longer see people from a worldly point of view but from yours And so I thank you for the opportunity today to take a step towards you, to want to know you. I pray that this church wants you. And every decision that's made from here on out will be with that goal. We want to know you, Jesus.